<laughs> that's cool. I think that's what it should be. And then just from that, the music. Okay. Uh, Cheers. Sure. As we say every episode, welcome to season two. Cheers. They don't clink the plastic. Clink. 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 Radio friendly. Michael looked at it like, I can't believe I'm putting this in me. Uh, Smooth. Why does anybody (laughs) just enjoy that? I haven't led an episode in a while. Yeah, you have beggared your shit together. No, I'm kidding. I know. I don't know how to do it I thought you were leading. I, I guess I misunderstood what the topic was this week. Yeah, well, you need to fucking read. So uh, we're, this week we're covering a really old story just because we think it's funny. And uh, Well, some think it's funny. I think it's very funny. I think it's inspiring. Uh, oh, God. Okay. That's going to be a great Shut discussion. Shut up and let me talk. <laughs> so uh, a few years ago, the internet as a whole... Not just the classical music world seemed to get a little bit of inspiration from one Sir Anthony Hopkins and the revelation that not only was he an esteemed actor, but also a late prodigy, a late prodigy composer. Yeah, what's the problem? And there were videos of famed classical musicians like Andre Ryu saying... I'm really inspired by Sir Anthony's uplifting music and his wonderful contribution to classical music. And yeah, everybody got kind of excited about that. Do you remember this happening? I should engage with the two of you at all. I don't remember it happening. I didn't remember I was here. When did this happen? This happened in 2012, actually. So a while ago. Mm, That's too long ago. I don't remember anything past 2014. Mm. I, I think it was 2012. This YouTube video went viral and it was this orchestra was going to play a piece by a living composer. And then they reveal that it's Anthony Hopkins. And every the whole crowd goes, oh, it's wow. Hey, it's look, Anthony Hopkins is right there. Yeah, and then they it's play, awesome. And then they play it and it's a garbage Strauss waltz. It's like a poor ripoff. It's called <laughs> And the Waltz Goes On is the name of that. Oh, I like so, that. There's a YouTube video called something like Anthony Hopkins hears the waltz he wrote 50 years ago for the first time. Oh. Which sounds very sweet and very nice. And, you know, if it was 50 years ago when young Anthony Hopkins wrote this, yeah, that's great. And he just wrote it and its orchestra was playing it. However, there's more to this story. Is it weird that I'm imagining Anthony Hopkins specifically as his Westworld character? No. Okay, because that's what's going to be in my mind. Anthony Hopkins is the last thing they saw him in. We're not talking about someone who is 85 and he's been teaching composition his entire life and he himself has never gotten to hear the work that he slaved over for years played the way he envisioned it. We're talking about someone who probably has $50 million. Yeah. It's not that he hasn't gotten the opportunity. It's that he just hasn't paid for that particular thing Mm -hmm. up until then. How do you think Uh, he met Andre Ryu and got him to perform this with his touring orchestra? How? At a Raytheon Nobody knows, but he probably just fucking paid for it. That's the other thing. So this didn't just come out of nowhere. What's the other part of this that is the more interesting part of this story is that this video came out shortly before the release of an album called Anthony Hopkins Composer that was released by Classic FM and was weirdly enough recorded by Birmingham Symphony, like City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, the Simon Rattles baby. He wasn't conducting them. 
So this album is called Anthony Hopkins Composer, and it frankly just kind of reeks of Vanity Project. It's not something where, you know, he got a record deal because he was secretly amazing and had all these great pieces. There's a lot pointing to him basically forking over enough dough and the Birmingham Symphony seeing this as a good enough publicity opportunity to have a famous person's name attached to the orchestra. Of course. It's called Orpheus. And here's the album cover. He's like, he's got his hand to his ear. He's kind of looking intense in black and white. I didn't know Classic FM like produced records. Also, although we try to make everything available for everybody on Spotify on this podcast, this album is not available on Spotify. Well, this is like the uh, custom mugs we just got made up. There are only a hundred copies of these <laughs> of this album, and it's on he just YouTube. he gave them away with his uh, Christmas card. <laughs> if you go on YouTube and type in Anthony Hopkins composer, though, the whole album comes up. If this was in the context of film scoring, if this. Music was in a movie that came out like this year. I probably would have said it was a breath of fresh air and I'm really happy to hear it because mm-hmm. there's an actual orchestration. There's change in texture. There's a lot go. you know, there's enough going on. It's just in terms of something that's being held up as classical music, it has nothing to do with what's going on. And it's somebody who's based on what he wrote, you can tell has been t- totally uninvolved with the genre his S- whole life and since decided even, he wanted to do this. Since even before he was born. Yeah. <laughs> this says he hasn't been involved with classical music in 120 years. <laughs> so he actually has some <clears throat> quotes. And, and um, also, do do we believe that he orchestrated this all himself? That's my huge question. I don't think he did. Nah. I mean, it's possible he paid for composition lessons and learned to do all this. It is a distinct possibility. I mean, I would be impressed if someone said, hey, this random celebrity that I didn't know wrote music wrote this. I mean, I would. I'd be like, oh, okay. Like, it's not but, like... But it's like... But you can't just intuit this also. Like, you can't intuit the, the ranges of choirs best? and instruments. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, very possible he's been taking orchestration lessons and composition lessons. But I've read through many interviews, and he never brings it up once. They asked him how his music comes to him so easily, because he said that his music just comes to him like in a dream or something and he said that's because i don't worry about it i don't think i've got to get this perfect i've got to analyze it if it sounds okay to me and other people like it then i go ahead and then he said he, about his musical role models he says i have catholic tastes and no preconceptions meaning universal taste i love listening to vaughn williams delius and elgar but i also listen to country and western music and jazz i listen to anything now, he named about two genres there and three British composers from 1905 <laughs> through 1930. So it's not exactly a very universal or diverse understanding of music. The image that I get from this story is just that there's a guy who has a rather self-inflated sense of talent and interest in a subject, and it's a pet project. But because he's famous for something else, it's getting like tons and tons of attention and overinflated and propped up as something that's great. And in the meantime, that's really bad publicity for the rest of classical music because people are going to think this is what it is. Oh, I mean, you could like that, I suppose. But I don't know if a a general audience member is going to effective of what you're going to hear when you go to a concert. Is it, though? In terms I mean, of quality and in terms of what's going on right now. I yeah. feel like general audience is not going to be necessarily picking up on the disparate range of the quality. They're going to hear, oh, this sounds like a classical music piece, and it must be deliciously good. 
Yeah, but also the people... It's more the ethics of it. It's like a fucking shame that a really great orchestra is contributing to propping up something that's crap. Mm -hmm. So you're you're taking more umbrage in the fact that the opportunity was given to someone possibly more on their celebrity status than on their merit. Or that he paid for it and it's just a dumb vanity project that some celebrity is doing. But the problem is that people are giving it actual credit. Who's it from? This is from Music OMH. It's a classical music and opera blog. On one hand, Hopkins was extremely lucky, for few contemporary composers get to jump in feet first with an orchestra as good as the CBSO. Yet, on the other hand, the music fully merits its status, for Hopkins writes with considerable flair and confidence. The feel is very much that of a man who loves making music, who writes instinctively from the heart. With that instinct comes a strong grasp of structure for shorter, more cinematic works rather than complex symphonic forms. Yet within these numbers, Hopkins develops... His work subtly and never settles for mere repetition, except that the entire thing repeats constantly. And that's actually an interesting point. All the tracks are like five minutes long, which is nothing against the, you know, track length also does kind of seem to dwindle across the whole album. Wait, like he's, shorter getting, and shorter? he's getting tired of it. So there's just mistakes all over the album. And then there's like these weird choices that are like the way the piano is used in the orchestra doesn't really fit. <clears throat> The style of these tracks. I don't know. There's just something weird about the whole thing. Well, here's a question. If you heard that, not knowing it was Anthony Hopkins, would you think that it was as subpar as you feel? If I knew the date of it, for sure. And then for certain ones of the tracks, I definitely would have just said, like, this is bad. Got it. That's what I'm just wondering. That's what's interesting is there are a few where I was listening through it and I was like, oh, I wouldn't consider this a contribution to the art form today, but it's fun and good. Hmm. But again, like the style and quality from track to track is so different that I really don't think one person did the whole thing. I think what's maybe true is Anthony Hopkins plays piano very well, or at least passably well, because he does say he has a piano he plays every day, and that he is probably a good melodist. Mm -hmm. Because that's one thing the album does have for sure, is like the melodies across it are really pretty good. Mm -hmm. Very hummable. Overall, pretty good. Like, there were just all these articles that were kind of going on about like, oh, it was such a a bold statement from him, and... The, like he shows off his ability as an orchestrator, moving between brass, woodwind, strings, and choir with relative ease. Like it's very easy to move from one to the other. You literally just put the notes there. So you're saying so these who it's like who's it's very writing pandering. this is that music blog, but NPR had a similar article. So I like can open up. professional critics are weighing in on, it, is what you're saying? That mm, are... No, professional individual critics distinctly ignored it. Okay, this seems almost a bit to me. As a almost as a bit of marketing on behalf of the orchestra's part. Mm-hmm. So I'm torn because I feel that given the circumstances of orchestras somewhat being in flux with how they're moving forward with contemporary music, do you think they're at fault for finding someone, a recognizable current person that wrote okay to moderately good music and played it? Or is the issue, do you think the issue is more that you don't feel like he warranted enough I think if you credit gonna, to have it performed by a professional, I think should the orchestras do, be at fault? I, I mean, think the orchestra should be at fault personally, because like if I you're gonna do it, and if you're gonna do it, it should be because you know of someone who's secretly very good. True, but at the same time, but he's not very good. If your job also is to get to keep your audience bolstered, can they be at fault for giving a small amount of time to that on the vast range of their entire program? 
I, to I me, mean, if we're just going to start lying to the audience to get their butts in the seats, like, why don't we just... But what? what yeah, what, like, why don't you just turn it into, like... Why don't we just reamp it, not have the instruments well, wait, actually wait, wait, wait. play on What do you mean by lying, though? I feel like it was pretty... It's still yeah, they're, like, They are curators of content and quality. And they're saying, mm-hmm. this is something that's good enough that we're playing it, so you should want to listen to it. But it's actually crap. Now, that's not to say that the average listener isn't is an idiot and doesn't know how to tell when they like something or not. They do. But their job is to be a pedestal and a light on things that are good and insightful and wonderful in the world. And this is like fine. This is like, you know, your rich uncle won the car show or something. And it's like, oh, great. It's the talk of the town. Right. It, like, it's, it's, like, it's not. It's just a vanity project. <clears throat> it's not actually something of substance. It's impressive as a hobby. The fact that Anthony Hopkins can do that is... Like, that's cool that he can do that in addition to being a great actor. But being pretty good at something doesn't mean that you need to share the stage with the masters of the craft. But, but I, I, and I, if he but let's ask, if he didn't pay for it or have that kind of notoriety, that music would never, ever have gotten played by probably anyone. Right. It's, it's only because he's a famous actor. And to your point, Will, if the orchestras are only worried about their jobs and making money to fund the next season, and it's going to be at the sacrifice of art, then yeah, just do something else. I mean, either you're in it to, uh, you know, be executors of beauty and art and bring that to your audience, or, um, you know, you're just trying to do your job and, yeah. and make money. I don't, then, wanna, I, well, I don't I mean, think we should fault Anthony Hopkins here because he should be allowed to do what he wants and pursue it and love it as much as he does. The problem is people propping it up with ulterior motives. So you're saying that you're faulting the orchestra in I, terms of programming? I think so. Or whoever commissioned the album. So I would fault the orchestra, but I think Anthony Hopkins, it's it's a vanity project. And but you're allowed to have vanity. This podcast is a See, I, vanity this project. Is, yeah, I mean, yeah, most a lot of stuff are vanity project. My problem is and that the rest of the episode, by the way, is me going to be like walking back my points. Well, I guess <laughs> I, I guess what I'm a little bit kind of at odds with is that it's it's almost like a double standard for orchestras because we talked about how they are can be very one track minded in terms of they're going to play the same Beethoven symphony every season and they're not going to change things up and they're not trying to reach out to modern audiences. But then at the same time, when we have an orchestra that kind of does, I'm, we're talking like a very brief but amount of their history. That. They're not programming it. They are simply the recording band for it. And I'm pretty sure most of the players in the orchestra are not on that fucking recording because it's bad. And if they are, I don't apologize for saying that because it's fucking bad. Well, I mean, like, but I mean, we just saw a live performance. Right. But that wasn't them. That was Andre Ryu and his magnificent band or whatever they're called i guess that's what i'm talking about more is that it's waltzing bears i mean everything that an orchestra is going to program is not going to be the highest quality because at the end of the day we have to be very honest running an orchestra is part business it's not yes there is a, a level of artistic accountability that you have to have but anyone that's going to be involved in running an orchestra also has to be conscious of how can they Get an audience. I wouldn't be surprised if they made no money on that. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost money on that. But we don't know that. No, of course. I guess so that's like an, that's like a big assumption. No, but I think the people running an orchestra like that one, which is it's not a no name orchestra. That's pretty. I mean, they're pretty big guns. But that would is, you say it's worth it if someone, let's say, someone did 
that was not versed in classical music came because they really like Anthony Hopkins, very much decided, oh my gosh, I really like the sound of a waltz, no, but and no started listening go, to no more. No one's going to go because there's no concert with Anthony Hopkins on it. It's well, there was album. at one point. But I don't think that audience knew that he was being performed. Oh, maybe that festival video. I'm just saying, maybe you're right. I don't okay. think it's... If the comment was people paying to have their music treated as a high level of art as others who do not have the means to do that, I could get on board with that. But if it's just a matter of not liking the music and it's a frustration of him getting it performed when other people that are much of a higher merit deserve it, I almost don't feel like that's fair because... So what if he got his piece played? I mean, it's not taking the spot from somebody else. They would program the music they want to program regardless. No one said, oh, I'm not going to play this higher artistic piece of music. The question is why they're programming it. Because it's Anthony Hopkins. And it's it's decent enough that you can perform it's it. It's not uh, decent enough that you can perform it. See, I don't, I think, you're, I think. shamefully bad. I think you're being exceptionally critical of it, which is fine, but I don't think it's terrible enough that it's shocking they played they have, it. I think they have a responsibility to their audience members to not but they it were clear be, with what it was. They were clear that so it was Anthony Hopkins, that he's not a professional. They weren't trying to bolster it up as he's the next big compositional prodigy. I just think that it's it's almost being taken too... Like I, I don't think it's I as think controversial as it's being made. I think, I think, that, I think that's part that. of the packaging, that it, it has to be impressive. Well, impressive for some a celebrity that ha- does not mm, have a I lot of compositional. That, that's, that's not the tone of the writing. The tone of the writing is that it's impressive. Well, that's okay. Well, that's I mean, that's then that's up to like the, now if you're saying like, I mean, they're just to, kind we of we don't have to single mindedly blame the orchestra, but let's blame this little subset of the system that's propping this up. So you're saying back to your point, Spencer, that the, the criticism themselves are I don't say the word <clears throat> sucking up, but they're maybe being a little bit less critical because it's Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. and they they're maybe they're giving him a little bit more of leeway because he's not professional. I think the thing that I find so infuriating is that novelty acts are always treated with the utmost respect. I was, you know, hunting around for something similar to Anthony Hopkins, and I learned something I didn't know before, which is always fun. It turns out for a lot of his recent, what is that face? I'm just thinking. For a lot of the... For a lot of the films he's recently directed, Clint Eastwood also composed the scores. I did not know that. He is a brilliant director and actor. He has kind of gone a little batshit crazy. He sure has. And what I think he might suffer from similar delusions of grandeur to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Well, I don't I, know if Sir Anthony Hopkins has delusions of grandeur. He definitely I think, does a little bit. If you I read think some, he go, just likes music. Mm, and I, was, oh. I was keeping you in the dark on purpose on this to get All your reactions, right. but go read some of the articles because he definitely is not shying away from people saying that he's amazing. Oh, so you mean he really does believe that his stuff well, is the next well, best? Just look at the fucking thing. album cover that's in black and white with his, you know, stupid hand on his face. He's It's called Composer. But it could if he be. Had, if he had humility with regard to his musical ability, he would have just had those made for his family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or titled it Anthony Hopkins Wait, which like you about? toe in the water experiment with testing my abilities and like yeah or not release a fucking album you don't have to you don't have to release an album of your your hobbies film composition isn't immune to this and so what's interesting is 
Clint Eastwood's emerging career as a film composer in addition to being a director. I've not heard anything about it. I love this politics. What's interesting is you've heard this music and seen these movies because he did the scores to Mystic River, Changeling, the movie with... um, Yeah, he uh, did? Yep. And Million Dollar Baby. I I did not know this. There are many articles about Clint Eastwood writing the music for his own movies that are all Clint the Composer... Clint dies into scoring and those kinds of things. And few of them really delve into the quality of these scores, which I was so curious about going in. My taste had been a little bit pre- tainted. tainted by the Anthony Hopkins experience. So I did go in with kind of a negative expectation. I actually think Anthony Hopkins is a better film composer than Glenn Eastwood or would be <laughs> if his music ever appeared in a film. Anyway... So I just wanted to throw some stones at Clint Eastwood because there's these people who are writing what they think is serious music. It's so not. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he just writes exactly what he thinks would suffice. He's just like, yeah, four octaves of C, that's fine. And he just he just writes that. It's like um, no no reason to, uh, no, that's, that's dumb. He sucks. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, actors <clears throat> and other celebrities thinking they can take on classical music, which there's no reason they can't, by the way, aren't the only ones doing this. I don't want to come across as music snobs. So I wanted to talk about some musicians who take a stab at doing things that they definitely shouldn't because they suck. Interesting. I thought we'd take a look at some of these. There seems to be a tendency for musicians to also paint, which is fine, but they also are celebrated unduly for their painting skills. Some of these include David Bowie, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, Janis Joplin, Frank Sinatra, and I hope I never have to see this, Yoko Ono. That's got to be terrible. What's even more fun, though, I think, than those, because the art is, I mean, it's, you know, it's fine. They do what they do, but it's, it's obviously not contributing to temporary visual arts. Like, it's all things that kind of look like bad Picasso. You know, but if it's a hobby, that's fine. If, if, if they're not trying to put it, you know, like George Bush, yep, he, he paints, paints too, and he's like, yeah, it's whatever. You know, they're dogs. Right. But, you know, like, when you see these news stories, <laughs> it's like, you know, things. the local whatever fucking Sinclair broadcast station puts it up and they go like, did you know that George Bush, George W. Bush is a wonderful painter? He's an amazing artist. And he's used his presidential retirement to really make something special. It's like, no, it's a fucking field. Just a picture of field. I mean, that's great, but he can do that. But it's not great. Don't tell people that's great art. Because it's fucking not. The one at Jay Leno's not too bad. Right. I mean, they're, they're, that, they're not bad, George but you could Bush? get that on a boardwalk. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm just not. No, I'm just saying, like, could be worse. What I think is more important about musicians <laughs> yeah, could who do be this kind rat. of thing, though, are... <laughs> musicians who decide that they can just cross whatever freaking genre they want even though they have no experience doing it but why shouldn't Mm. they try why shouldn't they try isn't the question why shouldn't their failed attempts be funded and publicized out the ass that's the real question that is the question but don't you learn from billy joe armstrong decided to write turn american idiot into a musical it was fucking terrible oh i I, well i'm not a big in fairness this is where i'm all terrible no they're not but i'm also going 
What did you say? <laughs> what did he just say? I'm not a fan we'll of get into it today. Oh, wow. Oh, lucky I didn't hear that all. How about Bono and the Edge trying to kill a man by elaborately constructing a plot where they make a musical happen and then hang him off wires and try to throw him into an audience of people? What are you talking if, about? If, if, it made Spider-Man the musical. If Spider-Man oh, was yeah, garbage yeah, and the guy I, was... I like to think it was an elaborate plot to have the guy who played Spider-Man kill him. I mean, if well Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was an elaborate murder plot, that was art. <laughs> well, can we talk? Well, the title in and of itself also, is just so terrible. So Turn off the dark. That sounds like someone you know, like, like you guys don't get grade, it. You, do, you guys don't get it. It's clever. It is, oh yeah, it, it's clever. They got in a oh, meeting it's with so uh, terrible. What's his name? Who did Transformers? Michael Bay. Yeah, they got in a meeting with Michael Bay, and they were like, "I've been on this kick by just calling things the dark." That being said, there are like good examples of pop musicians doing musicals. Like Sarah Bareilles wrote. Waitress. Oh, that album really is amazing. so good. It's supposed to be really good. It is. It, it is amazing. Trey Parker American and Matt movie, Stone. Yeah. It's amazing. Book of Mormon. I haven't seen it, but although I think that's South Park bigger. That's different. Time. Why is it different? It's different because that's part of what they do. I mean, that's not like well, the, uh, them okay. trying their hand at something else. The playwriting. Uh, mu- much the, of their career has been doing musicals. That's true. That Many fair. South Park episodes are musicals. Yeah, and the movie. The movie is a musical. Oh, yeah. the movie is so good. I've heard critiques where they consider that a perfect musical in terms of the plot structure and the songs. And it's written to be the quintessential form of a musical. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just think that's I do amazing. enjoy that. Oh, it's Anthony so good. Hopkins paints also. Oh, he does? Yeah, of course he does. Let's look it up. My question is, where does he have all this fucking free time? Man, I don't it's a lot that. of money. And I don't have time to paint. <laughs> that is the amazing thing. Oh, his are even a little bit more... Uh, they are more experimental, but they're still yeah, kind then, of... They obviously are similarly informed to his music, where it's like stuff that was interesting 120 years ago. Oh, no, but I see, I would buy this. I'd have that in it my is, house. It is better, because some of it's cool. But this looks just like Schoenberg's self-portrait. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But, like, look at the... Schoenberg I like this painted. lion. Mm-hmm. Mm. This lion's really pretty. Kind oh, but that's, like not, oh, that's, that's not by that, Anthony That Hopkins. looks like something you'd buy in Times Square. It wasn't by Anthony Hopkins. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the point is, who cares? Stop caring. It's bullshit. Stop caring. <laughs> Stop caring. There are pe- there are real people doing the real versions of these things and not mawkish imitations of it. Stop propping up these celebrities who just because of their notoriety from some separate field get to participate in this other thing and be just inexplicably lauded. End of episode. <laughs> We knocked that conversation out of the park. Up next, we have Will sitting down with Tom Morrison. Tom is a composer, native New Yorker. He's currently a PhD fellow at Princeton, and he's been to Montana. And you're about to hear all about it right now. Never better. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Oh my god, thank you for having me. I knew I was gonna be drinking Yingling today, so I'm yeah. just kinda like not that I, I'm, I'm still sponsored kind of in, by Yingling. I'm I'm kind of in this like I've just got done with a whole bunch of work and I'm kind of like purposefully taking time off to not oh, yeah? do anything to What'd you to finish? Like get my Well I just I just finished a, 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 a bunch of music and then I had to do my, my oral exams. <laughs> They're actually called the generals exam. And I so oral now exams. you do genitals exams. <laughs> <laughs> my oral genitals. I'm done. 
now you do well now we have to take we have to take one class or teach one class a semester but other than that like you oh. just have to like kind of show up every now and again that's it it's actually great it's gonna be nice i can move back to the city now and chill out and just write music so I have to start writing music soon. But. You get to be a city boy again. Has New Jersey been like tough to tough it's, to get through? It's just a little boring, to be honest. Like after I don't know. I feel like after living in New York, it's it's hard to like go to like the. You work, were born in New York, right? Yeah. So the the workflow is nice. Being in a being in a pretty place, like I like being around trees and stuff. That's what's nice about places like Inwood and stuff is like you can go for your daily walk and like be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get I get really like yesterday I was working or well, I was I was just sketching some ideas and I realized I was like in there for like five hours doing work. And um, I just like got really depressed after a little bit. And I was like, oh, I've been in, I've been inside all the time. Yeah, just because I've been I've been inside so much. So I have to like get out. And it is like a tricky part of when writing music becomes a steady and a big part of your day, which is nice, but like you don't see people or leave or do things. And it like, sometimes it's like five o'clock and you're like, Oh, I haven't done anything yet. Or it's like, I took the dog for a walk and that's it. That's the cool thing about having an animal Mm -hmm. is like, it gives you like something to take care of during the day and like a companion, but it is, it's really hard when your whole day is just spent in a room by yourself. Or when it's like a little antisocial psychopath like Ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, my, my whole day is with a cat. So she's basically a cat. That's, I don't know. Like the cat, <laughs> the cat just goes around all day giving me like fuck yous pretty much. Like I'll go over to pet her and she'll just be like, no, fuck you. I'm yeah. Ginger like, gives wow. me like the stiff arm. Yeah. I'll wow. go to Petter and she's going, like, right. oh. no. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I am. I love it and I hate it. Like, I love New York, but I also hate New York. Yeah, one of the <laughs> best things. Oh, yeah. One of the best things about New York uh, is hating New York. Yeah. I mean, you have it's to hate it. It's fun to complain you about You have it. to hate it. Yeah. A little bit. I don't think. It's a common enemy. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a common enemy. <laughs> and, yeah. I kind of, yeah, I kind of hate the people who love it. Without any reservation. Oh, yeah. Like those, like they're... Like the, the Ted Mosby dreamers of, yeah. oh, this city. Have you been to Lincoln Center? You know, I, it's one of those things I mean to get to. <laughs> and it just, you know, every weekend goes by and I'm like, I missed it again. I don't know. It seems like you've kind of yo-yoed back and forth between the city and some form of rural yeah. environment for a while now. Yeah. How does, do you have to like adjust? Cause I was rural. I did the rural living thing for the first 18 years. And then I moved here and I never looked back. Yeah. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Well, yeah, I grew up not far from here and I just wanted the opposite of this for a little bit. So. And that was Montana. Montana. Yeah. So I moved out there to study forestry but it's funny, Missoula always makes me want to think it's in Missouri everyone, because of the sound. Everyone says that. Mm-hmm. Missouri. Um, sometimes I get Minnesota. So they're just associating like letters. They're just like it's an M. It's out there somewhere. You don't realize how much people on the East Coast don't know about the rest of the country until you leave and like tell them about like random parts of the country. And they're just like, oh, I don't we are on the East Coast. But I get it. I mean, there's a lot going on here. You know, it's yeah. there's there's. There's more than a lifetime's worth of stuff to 
to oh, see yeah. between, you know, in a, in a 10 mile radius of here, let alone. Although one thing people don't tell you about New York, like we were just visiting some friends out in Dallas and then we've gone to some other small, like smaller cities, like proper cities, small by New York scale, I guess, smaller. But there's so much, New York has like the best of everything in the world or so it claims, you know, like you can get the best food or the best everything but it comes at like this crazy high price tag but what they fail to tell you is there's no like amazing thing that people can just do yeah like there's no restaurant that's gonna like blow your dick off and you'll like just have dinner and it'll be amazing you'll remember it forever right you'll just be in the poorhouse. but like if you go to other cities it's like there's these incredible things that you can just go do well, that's and that's a, not in the New York mindset. New York mindset is like, I'm going to deal with like a filthy bodega and not think about what viruses are being communicated to me through my egg and cheese. And then like, I'll save up $900 to have like some fancy ass meal. Well, it's, it's great because <clears throat> there is a lot to do, but you kind of have like New York syndrome in, 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 with activities in a lot of ways. Like when I was living out of Montana, if, if a big act was in town or something, it was such a huge deal and everyone was so stoked. But in New York, it's like, literally the greatest musicians you don't even know you're just like i'm sure they are yeah and you're just kind of like oh that's tonight yeah i get you know like so there, there, there's something about that too you, you get kind of like oversaturated with really good stuff to do and that did you see like were there huge like open air concerts ever in montana oh yeah that's huge i mean like, people are so stoked to go see music there so, so when you have a huge concert in montana what i mean a I'm guessing by the use of the word huge and you agreeing, it does get big, but where do they come from? Because, I mean, it, things are so spread out. Do people drive, like, 10 hours to go? I mean, yeah, a lot of the time... Well, like, events in Montana, yeah, people will drive for events. Like, the, the football games at the university, I think, like, the football stadium becomes one, if it was its own city, would be one of the biggest cities in Whoa. Montana. Oh, okay. Just because of but how still. many people come from, from around. But Missoula itself has a very sort of art-loving population. So you have a lot of people in Missoula that just love going out and love checking out music and art. And they Is it a big a town? Huge, no, I think it's like maybe 70,000 people. Oh, okay. But big enough for people to, uh, to do stuff. But no, I mean... People come, yeah, and pe- but people do drive from all all different towns, and they'll come to shows, and it's really it's cool. Yeah, they have they actually just built a new amphitheater on the river. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah, and there's a brewery out there that has an outdoor, a huge, holds thousands of people, and they'll put people in like the minor league baseball stadium to see shows. Um, but it's a really cool. Yeah, it's kind of what I love about small towns in America is that. They love when they, when they love to go out to things. It's 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 like an event when no matter who, even if they don't really want to see whoever it is, it's just like it's a just night out. And yeah. It's fun. Um, like, no. I didn't realize when you went to Montana, you were gonna be a forester. Yeah, that was a dream. That's I've never heard of that. I mean, I've I've heard of people doing forestry, but I've never heard of someone I know. Yeah, doing doing that. What is that? And and why? Tell me everything. I had no fucking clue what it was really. Um, I think I wanted to. Looking back at it now, I think I wanted to like be in the envir- like be an environmentalist. Mm-hmm. But I also just wanted to to like be in the woods all day. 
Like I always thought I'd like play music, but I really had this this romantic dream of like being in the woods. And but yeah, no. have a mandolin strapped to your backpack exactly. of science gear. That was exactly it, you know. And like, I wanted to be a park ranger, which it was like that's why I went. You know, like I found out like the programs you go to if you want to be a park ranger. And um, but when I got there, I I realized it was not like the the other foresters. Like they are um, not hmm. not like me. So oh, what are they like? They're just missing a lot of teeth. Uh, no, I'm just oh. kidding. They're, they're just very like, uh, that is very convincing. Well, I mean, it's not completely wrong, but they're wonderful folks, but they're very, I mean, they grew up in, you know, a lot of the ones I experienced, which I hate to generalize, but like the ones I, I met in Montana were like, you know, grew up in rural Montana and, mm-hmm. you know, like were the children of, you know, people, loggers and, and these sorts of things. And it, it a level of ruggedness that I could never aspire to mm. to be, um, but that shouldn't have deterred me. But I think at the time it wasn't even that that deterred me. That more fascinated me because they were actually a lot of fun. They they drank a lot. They, they, there's this huge thing called the Foresters Ball that they would have, and uh, it's like the craziest party of the year, and everyone just drinks too much. I'm, pi- I'm and- picturing people just like felling trees with like music and lights going on like lumberjacks <laughs> yes for sure i mean no. like that's that's not no yeah there's like activities like you have to but they're yeah no they're they're, they're a fun bunch um but no i think I, I went out there and i just realized that i i, I just really wanted to do music i think yeah. so there's really cool people at the school of music there and that was partially the other reason i like went there was i like to you knew it research. had birth right yeah. so i could like but then once I got there, pretty soon after I got there, I was like, oh, I just want to. That's really sort of what music. I did. In- it's funny. Like, I, I, sent, I like, yeah. Sometimes if I'm having a really bad day or like, you know, I don't know. Music is just driving me nuts. I'm like, man, I could just be like out in the woods right now, you know. But I could still always do that. I yeah. I still go out in the woods. I don't need a degree. You can to, come use my woods. Go. Yeah. Right These are my woods. I, thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. Um, I grant you permission. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, no, it was really fun making music, you know, and it was a really, I, I definitely wasn't ready for like conservatories or anything when I was that age, or I think that that's a really, very I mean, few I, people are. I have, having gone through that now, like both of us right. did something else and then, or a state school or something like that, and then did a conservatory thing. I would never, if I had a kid who was interested in acting, music, dance, anything, I would never have them go to a conservatory for undergrad. For sure. Ever. Yeah. No, it, it, it takes that. Like know. zest for life out of people. It does. I mean, like, it, 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 in a way, for like that. And I mean, like, being an undergrad is so. I mean, it is about like learning your craft as a musician and things, but it's also about like learning who you are and right. figuring Gotta go have out. some experiences and like meet people who do something else. I know. I know. And it's, it's just like, yeah, a lot of my friends were like, we're foresters and, you know, like people and studied ceramics and stuff, you know, when I did undergrad and that was, a that was a thing. major, it was a huge thing there. Ceramics they had a huge ceramic studio and I never, I, I never like went in there and did it, but I'd always hang out in the ceramic studio and like, can you like, it, can you, yeah. And then like you, you like they, our, people would, Oh, like you, like when you like huck the mud onto the plate. That's what you mean. Like you throw. No, I think like just any time you're like working. I think I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but that's what they would say. Like, oh, I'm gonna go throw. Like 
That's like some, that's some cooling. It's very, it, that was the thing I hung out with them is it was like the coolest. They were so cool and they would like, they had this Ceramics huge People studio. were the cool. <laughs> they were. I mean, at, at, yeah. And, you know, they, you would just like hang out and they'd always have like beers in the studio and you just hang out and like drink beer and everyone would be working on their shit and like, uh, and then they put it in the kiln and <clears throat> kiln and then you, you wait and to see like what it would do once it was baked and then it was cool, but that's really cool. Yeah. So like, I, I feel really bad for people who are deprived of these sorts of experiences of, of doing things like that. Yeah. You know, Jamie Foxx struggling as a, a cellist right. <laughs> kind of stuff. And I was like, it kind of feels much more like engineering school. People are really nerdy. <laughs> people are. They're really zoomed in. That's a better way to put it. They're yeah. Because a lot of times they're in. not nerdy. They're like right. socially competent and very like, well, there's a lot that comes with that. But yeah, zoomed in. Yeah. Which is. It's a lot. I feel like even. Yeah. Yeah. When I was at. When I was at Juilliard, I was zoomed in too, which is good to be zoomed in for a period of time. Well, is, yeah, is of really course good. you're, you're going to be, but like as a person, you're yeah. very not, I don't know if you're zoomed out, but you're not like every single aspect of your life doesn't orient itself around sitting at a, a keyboard all day. Yeah. So like in that sense, I don't see you like that at all, but Thank you. No, that yeah, was like of, you have a lot. Like you do, you know about a lot of stuff, just like the world, and are open to things. Like I, I just mean, like in comparison, there are. We'll talk about this. I once had my first <laughs> graduate school audition. I won't say where or with whom this was. Edmonton Peabody. It was. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll blink twice when you get the answer right. So no. But uh, the, Cornell. It was. It was a very <laughs> very famous composer and i went in and like and he he like went and i i shook his hand and i could just see complete disgust on his <gasps> face and we were oh. in his office and he went in to like his file cabinet and took out napkins and like disgustingly like like he made a show of it yeah like made a big show of it and there was another composer and my was, mouth was two is people. on the table yeah we need an area it, it was my very first graduate <laughs> interview like of a series, and so that's right. So there was like I had like a bunch lined up, and I had to like travel a really long way for this, and I just have naturally clammy hands, and and I was like mortified. And then he asked me to like sing a line from a Bartok string quartet. That's okay. So I hear stories of this shit happening in these application processes, and it's obviously such bullshit. It's it's crazy. To, it's just to make people go back it's like it's like leaving one survivor yeah. to like go tell the village that they like raped and killed everybody right, exactly it's that sort of mentality it just to it's make, a power move it's so dumb why do that like i don't know where, why would you ever need that was what, it at the beginning what, at the 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 line from the bar talk from at the beginning of the piece or oh was no it? not a specific line any it could have been any line they were just like, can you sing us something from a Bartok string quartet? We were talking about composers and they were throwing out all these names that I... Oh, that's even more weird because that just makes it sound like they're saying, we don't believe that you've ever listened right. to Bartok. Exactly. And I was just like, Ugh. that whole... Inter- but it was weird because the rest of that institution has lovely instructors who were the, like... The, yeah. After that, I had... Because you have to like go through and interview... With well, half. <laughs> yeah. Half. Yeah. There is definitely a trend that... See, now that now the listeners know that I know yeah. <laughs> that you told me. I feel like that's something that's, and it seems like is going to change a lot when this current era of students starts taking posts. Oh, it will. 
because like I don't see that hyper that like cutthroat attitude among people. Like it's sometimes not, there no. are people who act like that, but they're kind of the weirdos. They are now, and it, yeah, yeah, no, and people people Everyone's who like, do act like that, attitude? everyone looks at them like, what what is your deal? What's like, wrong? Why are you being like that? Um, I don't know. I I appreciate when people are really. I mean, like, there's a certain amount of you know like seriousness that you have to apply to things to get a great product and that's what this is all about but it's also like i think a huge part of getting a great product in in music is like enjoying the process and like not being terrified of enjoying the process and like working with people you love working with and 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 things like that so like and sharing that enjoyment of the process with them that's like such a big it's like we get to like be little community builders for a living right by writing stuff it's exactly. so cool it's remarkable it's like it could it could like, be like a utopia sort of thing and yeah. sometimes it is like a lot of the times like a lot of things working with people it, it is kind of a utopia and yeah and you have to in this in this industry you have to like maintain a certain amount of like confidence in yourself mm-hmm. in order to survive because it's so you know there's there's so many people in it and it's you do have to be able to say like Here's my stuff. You should listen. Totally. Right. And that's hard. It's really hard. I'm so bad at it. it I'm really bad at it too. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, very hard, but you have to have a certain amount of it mm-hmm. to like, or like, yeah, to just put yourself out there like that. And so I get it. So I get why like people have sort of these weird, their egos develop in strange ways, but I think for but the, the most part, yeah, our generation of, of musicians are, are pretty cool yeah. a lot of the time. I had like when I first was I didn't have performances or anything until like very late like after I got into grad school like I'd never had anything done except I had like two recordings that I had arranged and like spent a year getting together. And so I just had like this weird string of like not so nice experiences just cuz I didn't know who was who and what the deal was. And I also didn't know what to expect from people. You know, I'd only done like heard of the, the movie versions of music school and stuff. Yeah. And then like, but a- after that, after that first little batch of stuff, like for the most part, everything has been, people are very nice to work with. Yeah. Uh, in the majority of the time. I, I also think like you, you, you get what you put out, like mm-hmm. in that regard too like yeah if you take the effort to make those nice experiences then you happen to get nice people right but yeah it's it's like our our little project coming up we got like some lovely people right it's like you occasionally put some just kind of like let's all anybody up for just doing this for the love of the game and then you happen to yeah no for that project but it's also cool too because like you have you know the reason you, you, you contact those people is because you know that they're like kind of fun to work with and they're excellent musicians who are okay. Like you have an, you have extraordinarily smart people in new music, Mm -hmm. you know, who could go out and make, you know, tons of money in tech or, or doing whatever they do, but they kind of like sacrifice it all to like do things that they love. And I feel like in the culture that we live in, that's pretty cool. Well, that's part of like that, the thing that, the story that I feel like everyone has about some teacher saying, like, if you can think of something else to do, go right. do it. That's so real, though. Yeah, and it is. And I have, I've actually seen people 
or if I haven't seen it, been around them around the time that they have that realization. And it's kind of like a lot. They Like I know somebody who left a pretty great doctoral program and they did like, they were like, I'm going to go do computer science. Like mid-year, yeah. they just left. They took a job. And a part of me really understands that. You mm-hmm. know, like part of me really, like I I get that, you know, like. I've thought about that. Like, oh, maybe I can just like... Be great to have something with right and wrong answers. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It'd be great to have something where like two, you can like go do it during the day and then like kind of like clear it from your brain and mm-hmm. and provide stability, not only, you know, like financially, but also stability like like in your schedule, your day-to-day life. Yeah. It's really... If you want to have a stable schedule, you have to like enforce... I was just talking to someone about this, how like they use like different words to kind of defend their time because like even though they have like a really great gig and they're a very serious musician like if they say like i need to practice no matter who they're talking to even other musicians it's like the term is not respected like they'll go like i need to practice they'll go come on you'll be fine when as if they say like i have to i have rehearsal and just rehearsal is just them solo rehearsal then they kind of go oh oh okay Uh, i guess we'll reschedule or like what I do is I say, now nah, I have work. That's what I say. That's my thing is I have, I have work and like people can take that as they put like. They think you're punching in. Right. Which in a way you are, you know, like in a way you're just kind of be like, or they're like, where do you ins- work? I'm like, no, it's just like, you know, in my bedroom with that little yeah. keyboard right I'm going to install like, a steam whistle <laughs> for when the shift ends. That's actually not a bad, uh, not a bad <sighs> idea. Like, but yeah, no, I'm just always looking for ways to like get my practice more refined in, mm-hmm. in, in scheduling out time to write but i feel like the, my process too is so all over the place that it's and I'm, i like live in two places too kind of like i live mm-hmm. you know like and that's really hard not having a space you go to every time like sometimes i here i'm in new york sometimes in princeton that's like that's but i have spaces in both places and i feel like you're kind of at a point it seems to me you've been exploring multiple musical styles too because you had something that was more a few years back like more Traditional is totally the wrong word, but like acoustic instruments and traditionally notated yeah, music. And now sure. you're doing much more electronic stuff, I think. And no, I am. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of electronic music, electroacoustic music. And you um, asked me to put a speaker inside a piano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm really into the speaker and the piano right now. So it's cool. like kind of a, a thing I'm a little obsessed with. Um, what I, if we put a recording of a piano into the piano. Oh, I've thought about all that. Like yeah. I've tried, like I have a like, really meta. I like like granulated granular piano things like in the piano, like granular samples in the piano. I like to create these crazy, it's fun. I just did a thing with feedback where I put a microphone into the piano and then I put a speaker under the piano. And then I was, I was, it was for a cello and piano and I was controlling the electronics and then I had the feedback being filtered through a bunch of like comb filters so that you can like filter the pitch of the mm-hmm. feedback and guide it with other filters. Um, so yeah, I'm really, cause I, I think a big part of like the problem with electronics is like meshing the electronics with acoustic mm-hmm. instruments. So like, I think like if you just literally put it into an acoustic instrument, sometimes you get some like cool crazy stuff. and it's the localized sound and what's nice about that is it gives the electronic element a, a reason that it exists in the piece right like exactly. to, from and this is in no way knocking anyone who writes for whatever yeah, exactly instruments what or anything say. but like 
when somebody writes a piece that's for electronics and it, it means it's for synth, I'm just, and that's a talking point of theirs. My reaction is always like, yeah, but that's just orchestration, right? It's not, it's great that, and it sounds really good like that, but it's not necessarily a talking point. That piece could be for cello or for Fender Rhodes or for right. tuba or for anything. So, but when the electronics have like a purpose and they're like needed for the piece, that's cool. It's right. And that's when it's really special. Like, and, and that's when it usually seems like people know their shit. Right. And that's why they're doing it. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, like I, I work a lot with this, with this stuff lately. I've been working. Do you know Dan Truman's music? He's a, he's a professor at Princeton. He's a complete genius. And like, that's his, always. Oh, like if I bring in an idea for a piece of electronics, like his first thing is like, but is this like a really good reason you need, like if you can add, could you do this with a flute? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if you can, then do it with a flute. Because, like, it'll come off contrived if not, and it's also just a huge pain in the ass if not. Like, if like to deal with electronics is a huge logistical pain <laughs> in the ass. Like, it creates... Like, it's so much fun going to a concert with your music on it where you don't have to do anything. But, like, if you're going and you have to, like, figure out all the tech and, like... Bring know, things like, with you for things. them. Yeah. But, like, if it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of another labor of love and it's, like, if it's worth it, then that's awesome. Where do you see your time going once you're not in doctorate land anymore do you are do you are you a person planning on teaching being a big part of things or are you there's problems at every avenue Mm -hmm. you know like anywhere i look it's like oh this would be great but there's that problem this would be great but there's that problem uh teaching was always the plan was always the kind of like you know do the do the very traditional get your degrees you know but but as i approach it closer you know it's there's a lot of things i mean like I mean, it's its own thing too. You know, it seems like with all these these different paths, like you kind of have to like you get to a point where you're like, all right, I really have to choose one and like devote all my energy to it. You know, and like like if you're in film scoring, the way I understand it is you have to like go work under someone famous or like pay your dues mm-hmm. in California for a while. To, just sort of what we do, but we right, just we just get diplomas at the end, I guess, in or, different ways. We're we're yeah. paying dues for sure, but in in different ways, and it's. I think the idea of freelancing is just too terrifying. I know people have done mm. that and it's, you know, but like, I mean, teaching seems attractive, but. Your music is not terribly large ensemble focused. Like not, right. you're not a huge orchestra person though you've done it. Like I said, you've, we're doing chamber stuff and now it's kind of going towards some electronics, but it's usually integrated with chamber groups. So I'm wondering what are your thoughts on like the cultural relevance of those kinds of groups? And does that factor into like how and why you're writing? No, I think the bigger picture things, unfortunately, like throws me into some like rabbit holes thinking wise about how these sorts of like writing for orchestras and, and what that means today. And uh, I mean, I love I love orchestras and I, I love orchestral music. And yeah, no, the orchestra world, I mean, inti- intimidates me a lot. I think that's another like I always thought I wanted to go in that direction, and then like, you know. Uh, and I studied with Rouse thinking that that's what I was going to do. But I think that was that was a huge experience in thinking about sort of, you know, like he's writing for orchestra and, and what and the, I mean, he loves it so much. And I think I, I realized I, I didn't have quite the love for orchestral music that he does. He, he thinks a lot about the orchestra and things. And I think just long uh, talking with him a lot made me think a lot about why or why not to to write for orchestra mm. as much as like i think it's dissolved i still think there are kind of uptown downtown things and kind of coming back every you can see everything's related but it's sort of like we have two groups that are like cousins you do instead of 
siblings instead of like rival siblings it's like they're they're like the offspring of those two movements and so they are fine hanging out and talking to each other but they obviously have some different dna for sure yeah. and i think even within the schools like or definitely within like the downtown schools there there are sp- split mm-hmm. you know yeah. camps that that people are in and i don't think there's anything i don't know there could be things wrong with that i i kind of i kind of like it that there's people you know but there's yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that, like, I spent a lot of time sort of with the uptown things, and I'm now I'm, you know, just by osmosis of where I'm, where I am, it's very, it's downtown-y. So it's, you know, although you do have up, up, uptown folks, uh, you know, there's still, like, the John Cage and mm-hmm. downtown folks who I think are really now into, like, modular synthesizers and noise. And um, so, yeah, and there's all these different combinations of everything. Um, I think there's a whole lot of shit coming out of all the movements too. <laughs> there's always a lot of shit, <laughs> yeah. but I think there's also like some tremendously remarkable music being made everywhere. Yeah, it's it's a weird time. There's also just so many people, you know. Like, so there are inevitably so. We've like, got too many. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people just in the in in the world, and so you have so many different interests. And I think this <laughs> like goes into like zooming in, zooming out thing, like. You have so many people who like are in their own world and they have no clue what's happening in other small little niche worlds, which can be really blissful. And I, I think that that's really great in a way, you know, like if you can be really committed to something. I think I have to jump to the last question. What's your favorite non-classical piece of music? Like of all time or like right now? It's so funny. I had, I had a professor ask me like name five composers you love like in the classical world. I was like had a really hard time, and he's like, "Name five composers you hate." And I was like, "Boom, boom, boom, boom." <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> uh, um, okay, okay. Probably if I had back to Iron and Wine, if I like had like if you were to look at my Spotify like most played ever, it would be probably Iron and Wine. Hmm. But that's really hard to like to narrow down a, a best. Um, it is a hard. Qu- it's a deceptively tough question, but yeah. it's a fun one because I is think yours. Uh, you can't do that. No, no, no. We have to save that for when I get interviewed by someone on the show. Uh, ha! <laughs> uh, it is. But I think it's a good question because it gives it clues people into the fact that even though we're all really obsessed with what we do, we like know about... We have some sense of the world outside, usually. All right. Uh, all right. I'll give you... It's, it's definitely not of all time, but like right now... Yeah, it's okay. Like Sylvanesso's newest record... Uh, What's next? That's cool. What it's called. I, I have no context for what that is. Yeah, I think that that right now is my favorite album. Who or my favorite piece of work? Sil- Sylvan Esso. It's it's a producer, this okay. guy, uh, and his I think wife. I think they're married now, and she's a singer, and she sings in a. She's from I think North Carolina. She sings in a folk group, and he makes kind of very tasteful electronic music, and that's what I've been listening. That's, that for like the last year has been my like has been a, a, a steady play. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But I, I mean, I, but I take all the sort of intellectual stuff and put it in like my classical music box, even if oh, it's yeah. not. Is there one that, is there, is there an all time something that just, it doesn't have to be your favorite, but it's something that just like you always, always gets you amped up. Coheed and Cambria's third record, Good Apollo. Although I think every record after that is really complete dog shit. <laughs> oh, even Cambria's third record is is a complete masterpiece that I, cool. I usually think back when I think about like the greatest albums of all time. 
Coheed's third record. Awesome. This has been so much fun. Cool. Well, I will talk to you soon, Tom, and I can't wait to share your music with everybody. And it's going to be great. Thank you so much. You're the best. You're the best. The end. Good night. <laughs> Well, that is our show. This has been the season finale. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. And now we present to you Gowana Circuits by Tom Morrison, performed by Alarm Will Sound. See you next season. Thank <laughs> you.